Hello, GCISD. I'm Robin Ryan, and you're listening to GCISD's Best Podcast. In GCISD, our mission is to be the best, and we define that as building excellent schools together. We can't accomplish this mission without really getting to know those who walk in our hallways, work with our students, and influence lives on a daily basis. This podcast is an opportunity for you to learn more about GCISD's best and brightest in the classroom and behind the scenes in our great district. October is National Principals Month, and we're blessed to have an outstanding team of campus leaders serving here in GCISD. In today's episode, I'm excited for you to get to know one of those principals, Dr. Wynette Griffin, and she's been the principal of Glen Hope Elementary since August of 2000. Prior to that, Wynette served as the assistant principal at Dove Elementary and taught at Grapevine and Bear Creek Elementary Schools, and she's a tremendous leader of teachers and truly loves the students and community of Glen Hope. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Wynette Griffin. Welcome to the show, Dr. Griffin, and thank you for joining me today to share your unique story. So tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your journey in GCISD. Well, I have been here, I believe it's 31 or 32 years. Paula Barbaro and I um, often talk about which of us has been here the longest. I We moved here to the Dallas area in August of 1989. And I hadn't been teaching in Tampa, and so I was real excited when I got a job offer in Dallas ISD. I didn't realize that I would be teaching in a really urban district, and so I spent the first year trying to adjust to being away from family and friends and being really isolated on a new campus. So when I had a chance to interview at Bear Creek, I was really excited. And that was a time when we were undergoing just huge growth in the district. I mean, we had, I think, at one point, 24 classrooms outside at Bear Creek in trailers, you know, portables. Um, because we just had so many kids. We had like almost 1,100 elementary school kids at by Bear the time Creek. at Bear Creek by oh, the wow. time. And not enough bathrooms for everybody. So if you wanted to take your kids to the bathroom before lunch, you had to leave like half an hour before lunch because everybody couldn't fit, you know, going through the bathrooms. It was just, just that crowded. So it was a period of great growth and we built, um, Grapevine Elementary School and Bear Creek at that time was going to do virtual uh, all around school all year. And my daughter was still young, and I needed to be on her schedule. So I went to Grapevine Elementary, got to teach with Julia Lida. She was the principal while I was there. Learned a lot from Julia and um, really kind of lit my fire for being an administrator. I've heard a lot about her. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Mm -hmm. Bright red hair, very feisty, but just a great leader. Um, Built a lot of loyalty from her staff. Um, so I was able to take a lot of that, and then I was selected to go to Dove Elementary. It was a year that we had five new assistant principals. That tells you what kind of a year that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there for about four years, learned a lot there, and then the opportunity came to go to Glen Hope. And so I've been there now since, like you said, this is, this is year 2021, 20, 22. Um, and it's been a great journey. It's been a wonderful community, and it's really exciting now because I'm seeing children – of children 
they're coming <laughs> through to Glen Hope. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Or other kinds of relatives, you know, nieces or right. whatever it is. But I've also been able to see teachers um, who started as young teachers at the same time I did or, or close to that, who have grown and matured and become wonderful educators. And so just that opportunity to, to have an investment in a community, um, that's, I guess that's the benefit of having stayed someplace for a long time. That and the fact that I can tell all the stories that people don't know about the district. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So, so you and I have talked before um, about Glen Hope and, and being the principal of a place for 20, what, 21, 22 years, um, some people would hey, uh, say, hey, I'm, I've got this and I don't, I don't need to re- really need to do anything different, but you continue to reinvent yourself <laughs> and you continue to reinvent your school. So talk a little bit about being a principal at one place for a long time and how, how you keep from uh, uh, that becoming stale. Well, I think it's because I'm, I've always been a learner and somebody who wanted to push myself. And I'm one of the very first things I learned as a leader was that I was not okay with stuckness. I don't like it when people get stuck. I don't like it in myself. I don't like it in other people. And so as challenges came up, I was always trying to figure out how we could overcome those challenges. How can we make things get better and trying to look forward? And I've never felt like I was a great looking into the future person, but maybe because I read a lot and I don't mind spending time with people who know a lot more than I do, um, I've been able to figure out things that... um, have worked well for us and allowed us to change and grow and do things in different ways. And I guess one of the big lessons I learned um, in my assistant principal life was um, it's really important to be careful about the things that you chose to do, that there are going to come lots of things your way, um, lots of opportunities, lots of salesmen, lots of people, you know, trying to get you to do lots of different things, sell their program, advance their agenda, whatever it was. But you had to be really discerning in what you chose to do. And once you discerned that that was the right way to go, then you had to work to get everybody on the same page. And I think being able to kind of work through all of the noise has been a strength and a Mm -hmm. uh, something I've been able to do pretty well. And when other people disagreed with what we were trying, I've been able to, let's see, I heard this term one time, be selectively insubordinate from a great leader. I don't remember exactly where that was, but, um, (laughs) but, um, in, in all honesty, I think that's something that leaders do know is that you, you listen to the rules and you follow the rules as much as you can. But when you see situations that need something slightly different, you choose to do that, but only when you know that they're absolutely the right thing and you have the proof and the research to back it up. So, so uh, especially over the last few years, Glen Hope has continued to evolve. So what, what's your favorite part of being at Glen Hope? What's, what is it that keeps mm-hmm. you coming back to Glen Hope every single day, 22 years later? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's the kids. I'm the boys and girls. That I've always thought that leaving that would just take part of my heart away. I just 
being there every day, standing outside, um, getting to wave to parents, getting to see the boys and girls in the morning, getting to look at their faces if they're sad and saying, hey, what's up? How can we make this better? Or if they're happy, you know, that's a great way to start the day. I love to see them skipping into school. That's really wonderful. Um, but you mentioned the changes that we've made, and I think um, lots of things that I'm really – I have been really excited about over the years – doing standards-based report card and being one of the first campuses to try that. And the change that I feel like it made, and I know it was difficult for lots of people as we got used to it, but I feel like it made such a difference in our instruction. And it was fundamental to helping our teachers teach better and building on that success. And then I remember in 2013, it was April, and Rick Westfall rocked into my office and said, hey, we're thinking about starting a GT program here at Glen Hope. What do you think about that? And I'm like, okay, tell me more. He said, well, we're going to start advertising for the positions on Monday. So you might need to teachers. <laughs> That's kind of how it's been at GCISD. We've always kind of, you know, wanted to be on the forefront of things and always do things that were pushing the envelope a little bit in a good way for kids. And I feel like that's what we've tried to do is always be thinking about what is it that's best for kids and how can we, how can we make it fit for them? How do we make school more challenging for those kids that are, that aren't challenged and we know that they're not. Right. Right. So, so let's talk some more about that. Um, Probably on the outside looking in, people would look at, uh, oh, you're going to add a GT program. Oh, that's going to be easy, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> uh, so talk about some of the challenges that you had to overcome, especially uh, early on uh, as you look back at that, and and then how that's um, uh, continued to uh, maybe have your school evolve over the last uh, s- uh, several years. Definitely has changed the kind of the trajectory of our school. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, we started with three teachers, and um, I remember very vividly because Rick was concerned. He said, "When you talk to your staff, I need to make sure that they're all okay with this. That none of them are going to be like concerned." Um, about us doing this. And the reaction from my teachers who were there at that time was, sounds great. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You go right ahead. So they were, they were fine with us doing it, Mm -hmm. but they just knew that there were going to be more challenges that were coming. And so um, what we found over the years is the biggest, uh, the, the biggest piece of our success and the biggest challenges that we've had and you know this because I've heard you say it before it's HR it's personnel finding the right people who understood highly gifted kids because these are not just these aren't the kids that sit in classrooms and do the work and get a hundred on it these are kids who might be climbing underneath a desk because they're very anxious about not doing the work perfectly and maybe even not wanting to come to school because that anxiety has built up so much. Or they don't have friends because people don't understand why they want to talk about asteroids or comets or dinosaurs or whatever it is because they've got a passion and a, a, a love for something that other kids, more typical kids, don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so um, finding people that would understand those kids and really reach them was the first key. And we were fortunate in that we went through a lot of interviews and found three really great people to start the program with. But then trying to run a program within a building side by side. Um, So some 
parts of it were aspire and some parts of it weren't. And even things as simple as having two different t-shirts for the two groups could create issues out in the community that we didn't foresee. They were unintended consequences. And we had to have lots of conversations and lots of, oh, well, before we do this, we have to think about that. And so it was definitely a process that first few years of trying to merge things together so that it was a program, a school within a school, but still a school and all together. And I feel like we've, over the years, we've gotten to a point where that's how people see it and the kids see it. I see more, I see more aspiring traditional kids playing together at recess, Mm -hmm. asking each other over for parties, doing things outside, you know, being able to do extracurricular activities helps and all that kind of, but as we've gotten aspire parents plugged in, to the community and into PTA and things like that, it makes it easier. It's sometimes more difficult for them because their kids are coming on a bus a lot of times. They're working. Right, from all over the, the all district. Of, all yeah. over the district. And mm-hmm. so they put their kids on a bus and know that they'll get there safely and get home safely, but they may not have the time to be plugged in like somebody that's just over the fence from the school. And so we have to work extra hard to try and, and involve them and make them feel welcome and wanted anytime we're doing something. And then COVID hasn't helped right. with that, you right. know. Um, but I do think that that has, there, there's a saying that rising boats raise all ships. Mm-hmm. And it really, I really think that that's probably impacted us because we've had to do staff development on how do you, how do you deal with anxieties, which then translated into my, my traditional teachers. They understand better about, how anxiety can look like defiance and it's not defiance. It's a kid who's just backed in a corner and doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so their whole outlook on discipline isn't the way that it used to be either. They understand, they look more at a child and see the child for who he is. And so, and they also have um, just, they just have to accommodate more for kids who are um, high achievers are right, gifted different kind of learners in, in yeah. a lot of different ways. Yeah. So they understand that differentiation is critically important because of our Aspire Academy. So, so, um, first group of kids are seniors. this year. Yes, they are. So, um, have, uh, have, you know, how have you seen them as you, as you look at them and you, and you, and you're able to kind of observe how they've gone through their high school years. Have you seen that part evolve or, or have you kept, track of any of those kids at all or uh did they come talk to you about it do they have any uh because you know that first group i kind of i understand because uh, uh, parents were very concerned that they're the they're the kids that everything gets you know we, we tested tried on, on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we would try something it would work we would try something else and it wouldn't work and and so that first group of of aspire students who are now seniors have had several years of that kind of trial and mm-hmm. error throughout their careers, and and um, I think overall it's been really really positive. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, there were times when it's been rocky. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, have you heard anything like that? So it, it's funny that you should ask because I think just last Thursday or Friday I finished the sixth congratulatory note to um, former Glen Hope students mm-hmm. who are national merit semifinalists and all of them had been aspire students um which was wonderful it was great to see and i look today because there's a list that came out of 55 kids that are on other lists of recognitions and a couple of our kids were on that and so i have kept up and and i'm always i feel like i'm invested in the program because we had such a you know a part at the beginning of it and so i think all 
Um, Lynette Hollinger, Lee Ballard, and Colleen and I have a real vested interest in the program being successful. And so those growing pains, when they left us and went to the middle school, and we were trying to figure out how to make all this work, and then again at the high school, we felt those because we wanted the district, we wanted Aspire to be successful, and and we wanted the kids to be successful. And so I'm I'm glad that we've found kind of the a, a good place, you know, I think it goes back to the people. Again, you'd mm-hmm. probably once again right. agree. Right. You know, it's finding those middle school and high school teachers that understand it isn't going to look like a typical student. They think really differently, and you have to be right. willing to do some unusual kind of planning and thinking with them. So You have to be ready to be challenged, too. That's true, because... Absolutely. And they, you know, we can't teach kids to question everything and then expect them to say, yes, ma'am, when we ask them to sit down in their seats. We have to be okay with the fact they're going to say, well, why do I need to sit down? What happens if I stand up? Hmm. Yeah, let me think about that for a minute. And not everybody is kind of temperamentally inclined to do that. And so, yeah, I think that really... You're right. That's a big part of it. Very interesting. Now, you mentioned Lynette. So, Lynette, uh, Lynette, of course, is our um, teacher of the year, elementary teacher of the year. So, when you go back to Glen Hope, give her a fair warning. She's going to be one of our uh, podcast guests sometime soon. She'll be thrilled. um, You also mentioned (laughs) you also mentioned COVID. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, uh, about the COVID years that we've had. Mm, And mm -hmm. um, so. So it's been really tough, and and you've you've had um, a lot of experience as an <laughs> educator. So, uh, talk about yourself as a leader. Uh, how uh, you and your perspective and that of your teachers has um, has kind of gotten us through this time. Well, I'll start with kind of personal. Um, that the August that we were supposed to come back in that would have been what nineteen twenty. Which year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The August that we were coming back. Not right. this year, but last year. So 20. Yeah. Um, we didn't know a lot. You know, we we really didn't know a lot. We'd spent months, like, stay away from everybody. Don't go near people. And all of a sudden, we were going back into school and um, not knowing how it was going to go. And, you know, I'm getting up there. You could put, you put the numbers together and figure out, I could retire. Mm-hmm. But... That was kind of one of those times when my investment in this district and my my school, it was like, I'm not leaving my folks right. to deal with this. Right. I'm going to be there with them. Exactly. And it's a little scary, but we'll get through it somehow or another. And it was tough. Boy, I, there were days when I didn't know, honestly didn't know if every teacher would come back the next day. Right. because And it wasn't because they their love for what they were doing were doing was any less it was just they were exhausted they were so tired and things were changing all the time and um so the first nine weeks in particular was really really hard and we got through the second nine weeks and thought okay we've made it through and we're getting more kids coming back you know because we started the first three weeks we didn't have anybody that was weird you remember that walking the halls and looking in classrooms and seeing teachers talking to Computers, Computers, yeah, (laughs) until kids in the classroom. And then we had, you know, maybe 60% that came back at different different schools. Um, And we tried our best to space them out. Everybody sitting in rows behind the shields. It was weird. And then the teachers trying to teach on the computers and the, you know, that was so hard for them. 
But we made it through December, and I started realizing, you know, we're not having, we're not having big outbreaks. The kids, people say it's hard for them to wear a mask. They're they're fine. We have very few that we even have to talk to about it. They they're great. Right. And I still started calling parents and saying, hey, I know that your kids at home and you're worried about this, but let me tell you what we're seeing. So by March, we only had about twenty five kids that were still remote. Were remote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we just worked really hard on, we need them back here. Right. And that was, we knew that was the best place for, for them. And it was amazing for the teachers who were able to then only teach in person and not have to do both. The relief and the stress that kind of melted away was just, I mean, it gives me goosebumps at this point just to remember how nice that was, how wonderful it was. Everybody was wonderful. Our community, my community was great. They were so supportive. If I would say, you know, I'm really sorry, but this is what we have to do. They were like, we're behind you. What do you need? Just tell us what we need to do. They volunteered to come do recess duty when things started relaxing and we started getting vaccinations to help the teachers. They were always just so gracious and so helpful and so appreciative of what the teachers were doing. So, you know, looking back, it's one of those things that I think, it's not something I'd ever want to necessarily have to do again, but it was really a defining moment. Well, and so that, that brings up to me what is another really tough mental hurdle, which is last May, last June, we didn't think we were going to have to do it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when we started this year, uh, you know, the, the, the Delta variant, um, you know, came back and, and came back, uh, pretty strong and and uh, we've had some uh, horrible results from some of that with with many of our community members and and our kids and our teachers um, have have had to struggle through through that again so so how has this year been uh, with you know because we thought hey we're finished with this and then we realized well no we're no we're not so I, I mean our teaching staff again has risen to the occasion, yes. and I know that they're tired. I know they're tired of having to deal with the kinds of things that that we're having to deal with. Parents are are they're they're wanting to be um, more of a part of their child's education, especially at mm-hmm. the elementary school, um, and that's been frustrating. So, talk a little bit about this year and mm-hmm. how and how that transition has gone. Yeah, it it has been in some ways, you know, in August particularly because. We were, I, I don't need, I, I don't know, were we building the plane in the air? We were uh, barely hanging on because every day was some new piece of information. And we went from, oh, we, we're going to do this. Nope, we're going to do this. So it was a lot of change, a lot of things to get used to. I think that my staff's stability, you know, they're not a lot of turnover. So they know our community. Right. They know me. They know expectations. They know that hopefully I know when to put the gas down and when I know to put the brakes on. And so I think they trust that. Uh, I know that they're tired. I mean, we all, we all understand that. But I think they've been able to – I do know that they love not necessarily having masks on everybody because they get to see the kids' faces. And, and even from a teaching standpoint, especially with young kids, it's very hard to teach reading if they can't see your mouth right. because you have to – make sure that you're pronouncing words correctly and 
the difference between a th and a th is, you know, it's minuscule unless you can see your lips. And so some of those things, those barriers have been moved and that's good. Um, I guess I'm kind of excited because we haven't seen huge numbers of kids that have gotten sick as a result of being at school. And so I still feel relatively safe in telling parents, I, I, we're not seeing that. Right. We're not seeing huge outbreaks at school. Usually when we have kids get sick, it's because they were exposed but somewhere there's, else. Yeah. Their sibling gets it or their cousin gets it, but we're not seeing it in the classroom. So we're very fortunate there. And parents, again, in my community have been very understanding. We've been able to set up a uh, sign up for lunch thing that it's limited. And we've had to say it's really limited. And I'm really sorry. One person per teacher every day. But again, they've been very understanding about that. Yeah. You know, and anytime we can, if they can come stand outside, we moved our sock cop outside. Oh, well, there you go. And you know what? This was one of those things that when you look back, you think, why didn't we think of that before? We've always had the sock cop in the sweaty gym. Mm -hmm. And no matter how cold we try to make it, it gets hot and the kids get sweaty and the parents are holding their noses and they're all complaining <laughs> and they come and stay for 45 minutes and then they're out the door because they're tired. And this time we moved it outside because of COVID, because Delta had reared its ugly head. It was a beautiful evening. Everything was outside. The parents brought lawn chairs. The kids played. They danced. The, jock, the disc jockey would, you know, play music. Sometimes they would dance. Sometimes they wouldn't. And everybody was like, why didn't we think of this before? It was <laughs> wonderful. The dads cleaned up in like 15, 15 minutes. It right. was great. So there have been some good things that have come out of it. I guess the... Being able to look at what you're doing and think about it as if, well, what if we couldn't do it this way is a bonus that will come out of this because we know that we can question things and we can do them differently and maybe better than what we've done before. And I do think that people this year, for the most part, have been appreciative of what we can do and and not so um, frustrated with what we cannot do, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. we are able to open things back up uh, at a limited basis, but still it's a lot more this year than, than last year. Yeah. And just, I think doing things like the sock up outside where we knew it was relatively safe and that's been several weeks ago and we didn't have a huge outbreak afterwards. So it was a good decision, but that gave that sense of community that was missing so much last year from parents who weren't able to see teachers and teachers who weren't able or kids who weren't able to see their teachers and their parents talking and mm -hmm. you know parents who hadn't met before who were able to strike up conversations so I do think that that was that's a piece that fortunately we can like you said on a limited basis but we're still able to do some things that are meaningful yeah so let's let's look back at your life a little bit. A little mm -hmm. this is your life moment here. Oh, goodness. So uh, most educators <laughs> have somebody in their past who has made such a difference that it kind of made them want to be an educator. Um, mm. uh, sometimes it's a person that had a very positive impact. Somebody, <laughs> and there's there are even occasions that uh, that people uh, didn't have a positive experience in school, and so they become they became an educator in order to 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 be a positive influence. So look, looking back at, at uh, young Wynette, <laughs> uh, uh, who, uh, did you have a teacher? Did you have an administrator who made a, made a big difference for you? Well, you know, my mom was a teacher. Mm -hmm. She was first generation college and she was a teacher. Only she said, don't be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was kind of disappointed. <laughs> 
But then she was supportive, of course. Right. But probably the person um, that was most influential, as you know, I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. And in high school, we had a choral director. Um, his name was Jerry Scora. And Mr. Scora was, he was just the bomb. You know, he, he was one of those people that kids just, everybody stayed in his office. Anytime he was in there, there was always kids hanging around. And it was just, he made he made chorus like a cool thing to do, you know? So we had a pop group that you could try out for. He made it like cheerleading tryouts where, you know, got announced if you were in there and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And um, so we spent a lot of time with Mr. Scora, you know, and uh, obviously grew really close as a group, but also got to see him and how he interacted with kids. And so when the movie Mr. Holland's Opus came out, uh, probably, I think, one of my favorite movies, um, I wrote him a letter and I said, I just want you to know what an influence you had on You're me. You're the guy. Yeah. yeah. What a, what a, I hope you've seen this movie because there are so many things in there that made me remember times that we were in the chorus room and this happened or that happened. And, you know, I think I'm probably on time most of my life because <laughs> the first time we had a, cho- a choral concert, I was a few minutes late. And I had to talk to Mr. Scorer about why I was late. By golly, you don't do that again. That's right. So I've been on time pretty much most of my adult life because of Mr. Scorer. <laughs> so, yeah, he had a real impact on me. What a great impact. <laughs> so, um, so you know, you, you and Jim have been in this area for a long time. And mm-hmm. so you get to travel. You get to do all kinds of things around the state of Texas and, and uh, really across the country. When you... When you talk to other people about GCISD, what kinds of things do you talk about? What kinds of things do you mention? What's, you know, what are the things that you tell them about our work here? Well, I think the thing that would almost always come out is um, a joke that we like to be on the bleeding edge of things. Um, when, we go to, when we go to conferences and try to find something that is new and innovative that somebody in our district hasn't been doing for some time, it's often difficult to find a presenter or you know so we unless you go to a national conference you're usually kind of familiar with most of the things that have been talked about and so that I guess there's always been an urge within me to be innovative to be on the cutting edge of things to be involved in doing things at the highest level and I feel like that's what we do and um you know Aspire is certainly an example of that but we have a lot of other examples that, you know, through the years I could share. Um, and so I think just that innovation, the spirit of the spirit of innovation. Hey, GCISD. My name is Jacqueline Pereira, and I am a senior at Colleyville Heritage High School. This is your GCISD update. Congratulations to the Grapevine Boys and Girls Cross Country teams and the Colleyville Heritage Girls Cross Country team for their impressive performance at the UIL Regional Meet. All three teams qualified for the state meet on November 1st. Colleyville Heritage Band also qualified for the UIL state band competition. They will be in San Antonio performing on November 1st and 2nd. There will be a regular school board meeting on November 15th in the GCIC boardroom. The agenda will be released on GCISD.net before the meeting date. Fall break is coming up for GCISD. District facilities will be closed for the week of November 22nd and 26th. We hope everyone enjoys their break. Thank you for listening to GCIC's Best Podcast. If you know someone who we should feature here on the show, email us at info at 
Until next time, let's continue building excellent schools together. Let's transition now to the lightning round. This is oh. a, a separate portion of, uh, of the podcast. And, okay. It uh, kind of lets us get to know you a little bit better. You have already told us that you like Mr. Holland's Opus, so mm-hmm. you can't use that as an answer. Oh. But, uh, but the first question is really easy. What's your favorite movie? That's not Mr. Holland's Opus. Mm, the Sound of Music. Do you catch a theme here? Yeah. Uh-huh. Old movies. <laughs> Old movies that have to do with music. <laughs> yeah. I love, yeah, I love The Sound of Music. I love Mr. Holland's Opus, obviously, for the story, but those scenes in the Alps with the music soaring. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Just, great. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Can't wait to go to Switzerland one day. Well, you need to. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Once the COVID restrictions are lifted. <laughs> so, um... So we have two seasons here in Texas, uh, the furnace when it's really hot mm. and then then the other season, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, there are people that move here that actually move from places that have four seasons. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But we sometimes we don't have four seasons. So what, mm-hmm. you know, you lived here a long time. What What's your favorite season that we have? So um, before I tell you my favorite season, I'm going to tell you a funny story. My mom and dad were out here in 1950 because my dad went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay, Fort Worth, Texas. Yes, uh-huh. And so I grew up with stories about Fort Worth and how hot it was. But it wasn't the same hot because I lived in Florida. And, of course, Florida is very humid. Right. And so when they would talk about Fort Worth, they would talk about how it was dry heat. So when we moved out here... And I realized that it was every bit as humid here as it was in Florida, um, and sometimes even hotter. I was quite disappointed. Love it. Yeah. Um, but my favorite season, far and away, is spring. Oh. I love spring. Yeah. Love spring. I love seeing the flowers. Love seeing just that sense of renewal. And I think April and May is probably the the times when people should come to Texas and fall in love with it because yeah. it's just gorgeous here then. New life for sure in mm. the spring. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is the weekend? What's a what's a typical Saturday? I know mm. your family has grown lately. So, what's a what's a typical mm-hmm. Saturday at uh, at your house? Mm-hmm. Well, now that we're back in our house after the Snowmageddon fiasco, mm-hmm. um, yes, it would be a cup of coffee with the newspaper, some time to read, uh, probably like a real newspaper. No, digital. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, digital, but still the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Okay. Um, then most likely there would be one or more athletic games to attend for our adopted grandsons who one of whom never saw something he couldn't join and passed it by let's see he's in theater soccer baseball and football this season yeah so trying to keep up with james and all his um different endeavors so that would definitely and then a a night out uh, or dinner out Often at a local restaurant. So what's the sport of choice right now? Oh, goodness. Well, there's three of them going on right now. We've just finished Ranger season. Um, James is still playing soccer, football, and baseball. I'm growing to like soccer more than I used to. There we go. Yeah, it's shorter than baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, that's, that's... Totally understandable. Saturdays become really long uh, when you, especially when you have multiple games. Yes. On Saturday. Especially yes, especially doubleheader baseball games. That's right. Yeah. That's 
So um, if we walked into your office right now, uh, what would we find? Lots of books. <laughs> Have you read them? Many of them. Okay. Good. I can't That's say I've read question. every one, but I, many of them. In fact, sitting in my desk, because I've been unpacking things at home, is a very old qual- a very old copy of Quality Schools by William Glasser. And I looked at that and thought, you know, sometimes it's important to go back and just kind of read something that's a very foundational piece of literature. And I think his is some of the some of the foundations for restorative practice and restorative justice. And so I'm looking forward to that's something I'm going to look into reading over again. I haven't gotten to it yet, but looking forward to reading that one. I always have books going on. Yeah. Good deal. Well, uh, Wynette, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We've learned a lot about uh, your career. We've learned a lot about your school, uh, about your leadership, and um, about your favorite movies, too. So uh, I just want to thank our guest today, Dr. Wynette Griffin, and all of you for listening to GCISD's Best Podcast. I hope that you're enjoying meeting some of GCISD's best employees, the best that we have to offer. Until next time, let's continue to build excellent schools together.